Chariot Solutions Business of Technology podcast, episode number one, for Wednesday, August 28th, 2013. Dr. Anne-Maria DeMars on working in a decentralized world with cloud-based services. Is mobility part of your business's future? Chariot Solutions can help you make the decisions you need to put you on the right path. Visit us on the web at chariotsolutions.com slash mobile. Coming up on October 30th, 2013, is the Chariot Data.io conference. Data.io showcases how to leverage today's applications and open source frameworks to connect millions of devices, things, and people, and with any luck, make some sense of all the data being captured. We'll show you not only how the pieces fit together, but also why these platforms are capable of doing what they do. Register today at emergingtech.chariotsolutions.com slash data.io2013. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ken Rimple. Dr. Anna Maria DeMars has had a long career working with people in distributed locations. Spirit Lake Consulting was founded in the 1980s to provide education and training for Native Americans and is headquartered in the Dakota Nation Spirit Lake region. Dr. DeMars now lives in California, has created a game development company, Seven Generation Games, a statistical consulting firm, the Julia Group, and works with people all over the continent. Host Tracy Wilson-Rossman and I discussed DeMar's history in remote working from when she started by using modems, dial-up, and tools like Telnet and FDP to today with cloud-based services such as Google Apps and Dropbox. A good introduction for those who are not yet using cloud-based tools for their businesses, we also discussed some of the unexpected consequences of relying on the cloud, including the fact that it is never a good idea to stop backing up your data. Let's join the interview. Uh, so you've got a really interesting uh, background. Um, when we were talking about having you as a guest, um, you probably get this asked by everybody. You you were the first USA champion judo. <laughs> Talk to us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. <laughs> People ask that so much, I should make up some really good lie. <laughs> um, the truth is, I was a, a really short, fat little kid with really thick Coke bottle glasses, and I sat in my room and and ate and read books and my mother one day said you cannot do this your whole life and she put me in the car and she drove me down the YMCA and pushed me out and said join something <laughs> and that was before title nine so lots of sports just didn't allow girls to join and my three choices were swimming which if you are a short fat little girl you don't want to put on a swimsuit and running track which is if you're a short fat little girl you don't really run that fast and judo, because the judo instructor had a sister, and so he had allowed girls to join the class. And I was too short for people to get under to lift me up, and I was too fat for people to push over. And so, I and I had three brothers, so I could fight. So I was good <laughs> right away, and I lost the weight. I'm still short, not fat. And um, yeah, it really kind of helps, I think, being in a male dominated profession. In fact, I wrote something about that last night in response to Dave Weiner's blog where he had asked why there aren't more women programmers and said that a disproportionate number of women I know who were successful in martial arts went on to non-traditional professions. And I think part of that is they got used to being in an all-male environment. And so when that happened in the workplace, it didn't phase them as much. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Uh, and then also I, I saw in there as I'm reading along, I'm like, that's amazing in and of itself. And then I see that your third child actually got a bronze medal in the 2008 Olympics. That's amazing. Did you, did you do, uh, how, how did she get involved? Because it's also in judo. 
So right. did she did she take her inspiration from you? How did she get involved? Did you? Coach? Right. She was she was swimming and she was quite good at it and she got kind of tired of it after years and she watched me teaching judo when we moved back to California and wanted to do it. And I said, no, 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 you know, do your own thing. Your mom was the world champion. People are going to expect you to, you know, win the junior nationals right out the gate. And my friend said, Amrian, nobody remembers you. Let the kid do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so she started judo, and I took it to one of my friend's clubs the first year. And then the second year, I started teaching her arm bars. And that's what she's won a lot with. In fact, when she went from judo, now she's the world champion in the UFC. And that's what she wins a lot of her matches with this arm Wow. I know people here who would like to meet her. (laughs) (laughs) All I know is that uh, most programmers that I know, most software people that I know, don't fall into that camp. (laughs) We're so busy sitting in front of a computer all the time. (laughs) So it's good to have that, you know, as one of the things that you've done. And and I'm sure it's kind of informed your your health and everything else uh, as you've gone through your career. so let's start uh, kind of at the beginning of what we see uh, in your kind of uh, uh, semi-connected, semi-disconnected company world. Uh, Spirit Lake Consulting Company. Um, now, this is in the Spirit Lake Reservation um, in, what is it, South Dakota, right? North Dakota. North Dakota. I'm sorry. I knew I'd get that wrong, too. Uh, in <laughs> North Dakota. I'm very sorry, Spirit Lake. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this. So, so you started this in 1998, right? Yes. And so what was that uh, company all about? Well, I moved back to California. My my husband had passed away. And so I moved back home with the girls. I'm not home to my parents' house, but back home. Mm-hmm. And I had been working in North Dakota with the Spirit Lake Nation. I had been director of development for the college, so raising grant funds and, and doing evaluations of federal programs. And the president there, I was, I was back home for not even a year, and he calls me up and he says, we need to start a company on this reservation that will provide professional employment, that will provide good paying jobs. He said, well, I have three sons. I don't want them to have to choose between you know, leaving everything they know and you know, using their education, getting a good job. So we need to start a company. And I said, so why me? And he said, look, I know you. You don't want to spend your life driving up and down the 405 working inside of a box. You want to do something, you know, that makes a difference. So we're going to do this. So I said, okay. And I went back, flew back to Spirit Lake. And at the time, we didn't even have enough money to pay an accountant to, you know, make sure that we stayed out of jail and got the taxes paid. So we offered... April, Eric's sister, 10% of the company in return for doing the books. And we all shook hands in the tribal business office and I paid the $150 tribal business license fee because I was the only one that had 150 bucks in my checking account. <laughs> and we shook hands all the way around and I said, we're going to make a million dollars. And April laughed and 22 months later, we hit a million dollars in book business. Amazing. And, and so what kind of work did you do there? Or I guess it still it still exists, right? Right. So what did um, you start with, I guess, is the question. Right. You know, it's kind of like, I hate to admit this, you know how that the ink robber said he robbed banks because that's where the money was? <laughs> right. Well, we kind of started with where the money was. And at the time, I I tell people we sold slices of the Internet. At, at the time, many of the reservations were not, it did not have any kind of high-speed Internet access. Mm-hmm. So if you're in an office and you're trying, you're, you're surfing the web, 
you're doing it over a 24 uh, bond modem, mm. you know. So things just were not very practical. So what we would do is say we take a topic like working with the elderly and we go and get permission from the administration on aging and all these different nonprofits that had information on how to do a bed bath, how to move somebody that, you know, from a bed to a chair, it, 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 just a whole range of topics. And we would put those on a CD. So we'd create a website that had all of that stuff on it. And we would go out and we would teach people how to use the internet, how to um, use Adobe Acrobat, that sort of thing. So we'd come in and all the stuff that you might need, like I said, like something to read a PDF file, a PowerPoint viewer. When we were there, we'd have one of each of those documents that we used in the demonstration. And so you would end up downloading all the stuff you needed on your computer at the time. And when we left, you'd have a CD that had all the information on it that you could use. So you basically had a slice of the internet relative to your particular area. Now, of course, that was a limited time product because once the, the reservations got DSL, then it wasn't as necessary. But you know, it made us money for quite a while. So that was the first thing that we did. The second thing we did is we started teaching computer integrated classes long before the, the massively online um, mm -hmm. open courseware. We started out, we would come in and again, go into say a tribal college computer lab, give them one of these CDs. And by this time, we also had a lot more stuff up on our website and teach about say, uh, for parents, for people working with kids in special ed, here's some strategies that you can use. And we would have whole communities come in. You know, we'd have 100 people on a reservation that maybe had 1,800 people. And they would all come in and learn about, here's some things you could do to help your child to do their homework and so on. So that was our second thing was online courses. But we called them computer integrated because we would come in and spend a couple of days there. Because sometimes, well, I would say every... every class we ever did, probably 10% or more of people had never touched a computer before in their life. Interesting. So currently, uh, you've split off from Spirit Like Consulting, and can you tell us a little bit about your new company? Well, I started the Julia Group in 2008, and by then, April, bless her heart, had gotten to be general manager of the casino, so she had to sell her share in the company. Mm. And yeah, so we both kind of grew a lot during this process. And Eric Longi wanted to be doing a lot more professional development of the training types of stuff. The other thing we had done with the company is a lot of evaluations where you get a grant for $2 million and they don't let you come back at the end of five years and say, I did well, give me $3 million this time. You know, someone comes in, does a research design, collects the data, um, analyzes it. So I was real interested in that part of it. So Eric took the professional development part, I took the analysis part, and we split off. And about the same time, I also got interested, well, I'd always been interested, but I got started doing educational applications. Uh, so now we have, we split off last year, Seven Generation Games, which does games to teach kids math. Gotcha. Okay. So those are two, kind of, two different companies that you're running essentially at this point. Um, <clears throat> so you're doing a lot of this, as, as we talked about a little bit, disconnected from each other, or at least physically disconnected from each other. Um, and did the company originally start that way where you had a lot of people in different locations working together as well? I think I thought I read somewhere about the telecommuting aspect of it. 
Well, it started with the three of us, and I was living in Santa Monica, right. and Eric and April were living on the Spirit Lake Nation in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. So from the very beginning, uh, we had offices in two different states, thousands of miles apart. A- and then we, I think we, we hired a couple of people in Spirit Lake, and then next we hired a few people up at the Turtle Mountain Reservation, which is probably in, in good weather, of which North Dakota has very little. It's about a two-hour drive. And other times, you know, with the roads and the ice, it's, you just stay home. Right. So what are you seeing now, um, sort of a difference between when you were doing the telecommuting in 98 versus, you know, how things are set up now? Um, because really, you were a pioneer in, in 1998. Oh my gosh, I'm just laughing because it's night and day. I yeah. mean, I remember being in a hotel room that in was North a Dakota. Question. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, I would call them. I, I'm sure I have a 15 year old daughter. I'm sure the idea, she does actually remember dial up because I remember mm-hmm. her, her saying that once when I took her to a camp in the mountains that she got off the plane and she's about eight. She goes, Dad, Dad, mom took me to this place. And they didn't have room service, and they didn't have internet, not even dial-up. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was the most primitive conditions you could possibly imagine. <laughs> and, yes, I remember being in a hotel room in Devil's Lake, North Dakota, and we had had a technical problem, and I needed to, to download something, and I called up the AOL bulletin board <laughs> yeah, and right. downloaded it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, so things like Telnet, um, you know, command line FTP. prompts to... Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's how we did things in 1998. You tried to remember to bring everything with you. Right. And to this day, if I need a lot of things, now I could pro- I could, I'm pretty certain I could buy a flash drive in Devil's Lake, which is 13 miles from the reservation. But, you know, there's been times if I, if I forgot something, I, a charger for my iPhone, I might not be able to buy one within 100 miles. Right, yeah, right. So th- there's still some of that. If you need it, bring it with you. <laughs> but <laughs> things like Skype, the ability to, from your from your office, see people to face, face-to-face, we didn't have. And I think that's really been helpful to us. We did have interactive television. So if I, we were teaching a class or doing a, you know, a conference, pre- doing a presentation to another site, we could use that at the tribal college, but just the ability when you're having staff meetings or talking to an individual to be able to see them, I think that is extremely helpful because when you have people who don't see each other in person that often, if you only communicate by email, it's just too easy for there to be misunderstandings. You know, you miss that whole body language, being able to see people. So I think Skype's been really helpful to us. Dropbox has been, we, we started with Dropbox now. I'm a big fan of Google Apps. Other people on our staff, you send it. Something to be able to send large files back and forth. Because, you know, if, you, if we're doing gaming, our game has a lot of pop-up movies in it. Where right. some tribal elder in the game will pop up and explain to the kid that, you know, you want to make sure that you don't kill more rabbits before you, than you need. Because, and those movies take up a lot of space. You can't send them in an email. Right. So that's been really helpful to us. Uh, Google Calendar. We used to use Yahoo Calendar. Now we're, like I said, we kind of got big into Google Apps. But being able to sync our calendars so you don't have to have five phone calls and six emails to make sure that everybody can be available at a certain time. So there's just 
lots of things that we use on a daily basis that didn't exist back then. Right. Um, so before we go into the actual, like, what things you like, what things you don't like in these particular applications, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, your point around uh, corporate culture um, and how do you maintain corporate culture uh, when you are you know, so far away from each other? What are some of the things that you've done? Yeah, I think it's it's difficult. One of the things that, that I think is really important for a company like ours is that you hire the right people. And I'm sure that's always important, but it's more important for small businesses because each of those people is, is more of a key player. It's more of a percent. And also because you're not going to make it with seven generation games or the Julia group if you need a lot of, um, I don't want to say hand-holding because that, that sounds bad, but if you need a lot of daily interaction, I mean, often we'll give somebody a contract and it's very specific. You know, we need you to do this artwork for this level. We need you to do this other artwork. It will give you a script. It needs to be done by this day. But then we might not talk to you for days on it. So I think one of the things that is important is, is you have to be the right kind of person. The other thing, we try to communicate as frequently as we possibly can. We do a, a weekly newsletter, which might seem funny with only 12 people, but every Monday our intern sends out everybody's email, here's what happened this week. So people, we try to, to keep people in the loop. We do a wiki. I try to get everybody to put anything they're doing on there. We have a blog, we have a YouTube channel, we have Twitter. We have a Facebook page. I think the things that are used the most often, everybody reads the weekly newsletter. Everybody reads the blog. Most people use the wiki. We have Google Calendar, which you can see everybody's calendar and what they're doing. So partly there's that communication. We also try to meet in person as much as we can because we're now installing games game in schools around the country. Like last week I was in... Oakland. Well, one of our animators was in Oakland. Our, our CMO just moved to Menlo Park. So we all met there as well as having a meetup with the school. We'll have another one here in September with the LA, LA Unified School District Schools. So hopefully some of the people on our staff can come in. So at every possible opportunity, we'll, every city will in have a meetup and try and get people who live within the area to come. Generally, if we are, are at conferences presenting, we'll get two or three staff members to present. And so we try to, as much as possible, get people together in, in small groups because it's not possible for us all to ever, I don't think we've all ever been in the same place at once. Interesting. Um, so um, what would you, uh, what do you like about the different individual tools that you're using? Um, how do you deal with overlapping features? Um, and how do you keep, from fragmenting the knowledge across too many services? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, you must do this a lot. <laughs> I think that we, we've lately gone to Google Apps for Business, and so far I have been pretty happy with it, and that's one of the reasons we went to that, because everything was sort of there. We started with Dropbox first, and I really, really, really liked it, and everybody just loved it until one day I came in and 
almost everything was gone. Oh no. It was out of my Dropbox. And I looked and there's a number of people I found on the internet say that happened and, and Dropbox just says, you must have deleted it inadvertently and it's all your fault. Well, I'm pretty dead certain that I did not. Now, of course, I have, you know, a terabyte external drive hooked up to my computer and it backs up automatically every hour. Good. So you were able to I pull didn't, back. Right, right. But it was still yeah. very irritating. And the fact that well, it's confidence a, shaking, right? I mean, you yes. don't know what's gone. And, you know, what, what, what am I overriding here, you know? Right. So that was, yes, as you said, confidence shaking when it came to Dropbox. And we had, perhaps we shouldn't have, but we had one of our people that was using that pretty much as a backup and had all his development uh, tools on there. And, and now it was my computer that had lost all the stuff, my Dropbox, but I had a lot in there that showed a lot of people. So after that, we started looking for a different alternative, and that's when we went to Google Drive and, and the Google Apps. And part of the reason that we went to that is it gives everybody 30 gig of storage, which we need a fair bet, because I said we do a lot of movies that are in the game, or because we provide supplemental activities for the teachers. There's, again, a lot of movies, a lot of high resolution photos, you know, posters that they can print out, you know, that are, are at a print resolution, things like that. So that has been working pretty well for us. But, you know, you said fragmentation. Part of the problem now is everybody seems to have four email addresses. Yeah. And so one thing that we've tried to do is at least get them to route their seven generation games email to whatever the one is that they mostly use so that they, they regularly get their email. A funny thing I found, um, you know, you mentioned my daughter is, uh, is in the UFC. She's 26 and she's always telling me, mom, nobody uses email anymore. Email is only for old people. <laughs> and so that's one of the difficulties that, you know, I'm 55 and a lot of the people at our staff are in their, I don't think we have anybody Oh yeah, we do have one person in their twenties. So a lot of them are in their, you know, like thirty, thirty-one, or, or even, you know, like I said, we have one person in his twenties, and, and so they're not at all used to using email. Everything is on Facebook and text messaging. And, and the first time somebody said to me, "Well, didn't you, you know, didn't you get that? I, I messaged you on Facebook twice, and I think whatever makes you think that I would be on Facebook every day." <laughs> Completely in your camp on that one, yeah. Yeah, but Facebook and and text, you know, you can't you can't say that it's not a business tool. So I think that that's not anymore. That's anyway. where a disconnect is. Yeah. Um, with with that generation. Um, now, I, just a real quick follow up on that. So you're actually putting gigabyte files on Google Apps, just uploading them as files, and it's fine with it. Oh yeah. Great. I, I've never really used it for that. In fact, I've been using Dropbox as like a you know, storage and transfer mechanism, and of course, backing up as well. Um, so I've been kind of in the former camp. I haven't gotten burned like you have yet. Um, but uh, interesting that it handles the larger files very well. Uh, the one thing it hates, though, is EXE files. Oh, you know, man. we did a, a, which I understand that there's security reasons behind that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, those are files that we're working on and want to share. So, of course, we just ended up FTPing those to our own site and, you know, making that an approved mime type, and there you go. But that that was one thing I was not aware of, mm -hmm. and so I didn't know what's wrong with this this build I just created, and I realized no, it's a Google Drive thing, and and I do understand that. 
uh, because there are security reasons that you don't want people uploading executable files, but it just kind of threw me for a loop at first. Yeah, right. What about dealing with uh, people that aren't as sophisticated with cloud services? Like, how do you deal with distributing things to people who <laughs> don't have, like, a Google Apps account or don't have a Dropbox? Well, I'm laughing because, um, <laughs> you know, one of our artists has never cited Google Apps. <laughs> and because we do games, I mean, we have the statistical consulting side where, of course, everybody is, is very, very tech savvy. But on the game side, we have people that their deal is art and not always so much the technology. Right. Um, well, they, like I said, one of the, both of our artists use Dropbox and they both use Send It, which is just something they use between themselves to send things back and forth. Right. So we're... I think it comes partly from being a small company and being the fact that, you know, we can't compete with, with Google or Microsoft and the salaries we pay or the benefits that we give. Sure. So one of the ways that we compete is by giving people a lot of autonomy that they would not get anywhere else. We don't have any mandated tools. If you want to use Send It, which I have, you know, fine. You know, if that's what makes you comfortable. So that's... One of the things that perhaps as we grow, we may have to to rethink a bit. But for right now, if you are comfortable using Dropbox, if you're comfortable using Send It, whatever, and that is what you're going to do between with the people you work with, and it works for you, then fine. Um, it is kind of frustrating though sometimes, and we will make a point if I'm in a particular city or one of our other staff members is to sit down with somebody and say, look, here's how you use Google Apps. Here's how you use Skype. Let me install it on your computer. Let's sit down and do it together. So that's one of the things we do is we'll literally sit down and do it hands-on, install it for you, show you how to do it. Now, it might not happen for another month or so until we're in the same city, but it'll happen. So, Anne-Marie, um, what advice would you give to people who are retooling or small to medium-sized businesses who are starting from scratch? Um, how would you advise them to get to this point where they're able to use some of these cloud-based services or free or low-cost tools so that they're able to, um, you know, allow themselves to expand uh, virtually? I would say just experiment. We tried, and it's perfectly fine to start with free stuff. I mean, we had Yahoo Calendar for a long time. It's Spirit Lake Consulting, and the reason we went to the Google one is simply because it came with Google Apps, and it's always, it just seemed easier if you were logged in to use everything at the same time. Uh, we used Evernote. We used a lot of different, we used Dropbox at the beginning. So I would say experiment. If you're small and starting out, there's a lot of micro-businesses out there. I mean, like I said, when we started, I was the only person in, of the three of us that had 150 bucks. I mean, that was you know, quite a while ago. So it's perfectly okay to start with the free stuff and learn. And you know, you're not wedded to any of this. I would be careful, like I said, with our, our Dropbox experience, I'd be careful at first of putting anything your company really relies on, mm -hmm. on any of these services. and. You know, like I said, I have Time Machine. It backs up. It's set to back up, I think, every hour. I would back everything up frequently. I would not run your business from the cloud. And to this day, we have backups on everything. We have my, we have the, the main computer in my office backs up regularly. We have another terabyte external drive that's, that, that's 
hooked up to another one of our developers computers that backs up regularly so basically uh, our servers the pair of servers would have to go out the service that we use and our house burned down before we lost too much well, well, that's good to know. I think a lot of uh, small businesses who, and medium-sized businesses who really don't have an IT staff and network admin, um, this allows them to do a lot more enterprise-level um, work without having the infrastructure. But sort of the yin and the yang side of it is the fact that they, a lot of these cloud-based services don't have the help, the help desks that they would need. Um, so your advice around backing up is really important um, and probably can't be stressed enough. You know, the other thing I, I think of, I've never been one to go with the lowest cost provider necessarily. I think you often get what you pay for. And I also don't switch services a lot once we settle on something and we're satisfied with the the service. So, for example, I mentioned Pair, Pair, which is that what we use for an ISP. Oops. Sorry, I'm just getting a text message saying <laughs> I, have another, I have another meeting at 10:30. Okay. okay. Yeah. And we, their tech support is amazing. I mean, I've called them at. I, I'm just not a morning person. I've called them at midnight and been on the phone with somebody, and they've been extremely helpful on getting our service back up. On you know, any problems that we've had. Now, again, we're a fairly tech-savvy company, so if they say something like, you know, I, I don't know, what are your PHP settings or something, you know, we're likely to have an answer. But they, you know, having an ISP that is not, I think, at the bare minimum that offers tech support, has been, it's just been well worth it for whatever extra, you know, $5 a month it would have saved me to go to some low-budget place. It's been so worth I call them up and an actual human being answers the phone and walks through things and they're not just reading out of a manual. So you can get that. I think sometimes people lowball it too much where they want everything for free and so they're going with free services as opposed to the paid ones and part of what you get sometimes with the pay is is some amount of tech support. Right, and reliability because they actually right. get revenue enough to have service agreements and such. Exactly. All right. Well, I think that probably about covers it. Um, I guess the only last question, maybe this would be a real quick one, is do you have any uh, techniques for keeping everyone uh, from kind of burning out in terms of, you know, daytime, nighttime meetings? I mean, how, how do you work that when you've got people across the whole country? Well, it works out pretty well, I think, because none of us do mornings. You know, I think we have one, yeah, we, I tell you about, we have two women on the Turtle Mountain Reservation that, that I have heard get up before noon, and that I think they actually pop up, you know, are, are up with the sun or something. But <laughs> as a general rule, I don't get up before 10 o'clock, and a lot of our other people don't either. <laughs> You're all night owls. So, right. So I think that works well. You know, I will send something at 1 a.m. and Danny's usually up, you know, drawing until 5. So he will see it and work on it. By the time I get up at 10, he he has got back to it. Um, and I think one of the important things has to do with trust, really, that if people feel like you trust them, if people feel like you really value what they do, a, a tough thing for me, because I'm not, you, you know, you start out asking about the World Judo Championships. I'm not exactly the most warm, fuzzy, touchy-feely person. And, and it's something I think I have to work on and tell people often, because oh, 
I can't say, I work the smartest, most talented people. And I just think about that every day, how lucky I am. And remembering to tell them that is important. important. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks to Dr. Anne-Maria DeMars for joining us on the Chariot Business of Technology podcast. You can read more about her on Twitter. She's Anne-Maria Stat, or on her blog located at www.thejuliagroup.com slash blog. You can find this podcast and others at emergingtech.chariotsolutions.com and on iTunes in the All Chariot Podcast Show. We'll be creating a separate iTunes subscription and we'll announce it on this show as well as on the website. For Tracy Wilson-Rossman and the Business of Tech Podcast, I'm Ken Rimple.